We are uh, finishing up our five-week series this morning, God's Gift to Us. Uh, We've been kind of going through um, chapters 13 through 17 in John, but we've really planted uh, all of our meat in John 14. Uh, Because in John 14, God gives these gifts, five in particular, that uh, he hands to us as he is uh, leaving for the cross. Within 24 hours, he'll be going to the cross, and he's handing it to his disciples, therefore they are for us, that it's going to be difficult, it's not going to be easy, but don't let your hearts be troubled, and then he starts giving those gifts. So just a really fast review. Number one, God has given us hope for an eternal home, a personal relationship with him, the Holy Spirit, and peace. This is what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, and these are the gifts that are taking place. John 14 starts out, do not let your heart be troubled. And then we start getting the gifts. You see God's concern for his disciples. You see God's concern for us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let me give you some things. First things he gives us is he gives us hope for an eternal home. John 14, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You have a home for the future that you can look on to. Anchor into it. He then gives another gift. What is this gift? A personal relationship with him. John 14, 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Not just know about him, but know him personally. I don't want your heart to be troubled. Know me personally is going to be your source to make sure they're not. And then he gives another gift, John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth. It is good for it it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm going to give you somebody that will guide you so your hearts will not be troubled. And then the last gift in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace. I give to you. Before Jesus went to the cross, he knew that his disciples were going to face troubles in this earth. And therefore, he planted them gifts for them to survive their troubles. The last gift that he is giving um, in this passage is number two, God gives us a prayer describing what he wants for us. So he gives us all these gifts, but then he gives us a prayer. Now, when he's given us a prayer, he's not handing the prayer to us. He's actually praying in front of his disciples specifically to God. And when he's praying specifically to God, you're getting Jesus's heart. You're getting his, his heart, his mind, his passion, and his desire for his disciples. And when you get his heart, passion, and mind, and desire for his disciples, you're going to see what Jesus is all about. You're going to see what God is all about. So chapter 17 is not any explanation of gifts. What it is, it's just a prayer that takes place in front of the disciples. And when he's given his heart to God for his disciples, you see four different things that is on his heart specifically for his disciples. Before we read the passage, I want to just put the Bible in perspective and even put this passage in perspective. When we look at the Bible, we ask the questions, what does God want from me? This is a question that just drives us. God, just tell me what you want, and then I will do it. And whenever we read it, God, tell me what you want me to do. I will do it. I will follow it. I want to obey. You just tell me. I want to challenge you to think differently. 
I want to challenge you to not ask the question, what does God want from me? I want to challenge you to ask the question, what does God want for me? Because that's what's driving the Bible. God wants something for you, not even necessarily from you. The disciples were struggling to pray, and when their disciples were struggling to pray, Jesus says, let me show you how to do it. The first words were what? Our Father. This is how I want you to pray. Our Father. Let's just ask this question. What do you want from your children? What do you want from your children? Last week, my daughters were, um, my wife was in San Diego and uh, for a conference, and she was there for four days, and my daughters came up to me and says, hey, uh, Dad, let's uh, go to Mary's Peak. And I've lived here a long time, and I've never been to Mary's Peak, but they always go to Mary's Peak. They say, let's watch the sunset at Mary's Peak. Of course, Dad says, oh, absolutely. I'm hang out with my daughters, you know, 18, 15 years old. Sure, you can even drive me. 15-year-old has a permit. We drove up to Mary's, Mary's Peak. We went up to Mary's Peak to show you some pictures to watch the sunset. I will tell you the sunset was good, and it was a blessing. But the largest blessing was not the sunset. The largest blessing was hanging out with who? My girls. And they even took a picture of me in it. I think that's the only selfie I've ever taken. Well, somebody else has taken the selfie of me there as well. And then here's the last picture. Yes, we did absolutely enjoy a sunset. But as I'm looking at my daughters during this time, during this specific time, do I look at my daughters and say, oh, what do I want from them? What can they give me? No, instead I look at my daughters always and say, what do I want for them? I look at them and say, I want them to love Jesus. I want them to make it in this world. One of my daughters has graduated last year, and she's going to go to San Diego to college. What do I want from them? (laughs) I'm paying a hefty bill. I don't want, you know, (laughs) it's what I want for them. It's the future. What else do I want from them? I want to be filled with joy. I want my daughters to be filled with love. I want my daughters to be filled with peace, filled with success. I want my daughters to be good wives to their husbands. I want my daughters to be good parents, good mothers to their children. I want my daughters to have friends. As a father, my perspective of my daughter is not what I want from them, it's what I want for them. My uh, oldest daughter is is farming, and she's making like $13 an hour farming. Now, as she brings that money home, hey, Dad, I got a paycheck. It's like $1,000. I didn't go, hey, you know, you've been in this house for 18 years. I have fed you for 18 years. You need to start coughing up a little bit of your money. No, no, I, I don't do that, not as a father. When I look at my daughter, I says, oh, good. I'm glad that this works. You know, save it, take it down to school, you know, those things. But we don't go to our children and try to take everything we possibly can out of them. What we do is we go to our children and say, what can I give them? And do you know what our, what our prayers look like when we pray for our children? We pray for our children. I just pray that my children will give me what I need in this life. I pray that my children will do everything that I want them to do in this life. We start praying in regards to, God, bless my children, make my children, use my children, love my children. See, when God used the words, start out with my father, he's using those words as a perspective to say, I am your father, and this is what I want you to view me as. Therefore, it's not what I want from you. It is literally what I want for you. And we don't look at that perspective when we think of God. It's always, what do I want from me? In fact, many people go to church and say, I don't really want to go to church. The reason why is because they'll probably ask for money, because God always asks for money. But did you know that God is rich? I don't know if you knew that or not. And if you don't give money, um, he's not going to go bankrupt. 
what happens is God wants you to give your money away because your heart's so anchored into it. But this is not from, you want, from God. It's not what he wants from us. This is what he wants for us in the richness of our lives. Well, God you know, puts restrictions on me. He says, I can't sin. And uh, I'd rather just be a free person rather than sin. Thomas Watson has the best quote about sin. He says, what does a man get by sinning? He says he gets a blot in his name, a curse in his estate, and a hell on his conscience. Uh, there's a reason why God doesn't want you to sin. is because he doesn't want you to have that. I do not want my daughters to have a blot in their name, a curse in their estate, and a hell on their conscience either. So it's not what he wants from us. It's what he wants for us. Well, God wants to restrict me. Well, he is going to put some restrictions out there because he doesn't want you to annihilate yourself or everybody that you come in contact with. But this is the heart of God, that this is what I want for my children. And you're going to see that in this prayer. Because in this prayer, he's not pleading to God that they do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. He says, this is what I want from them. Four specific things we're going to get over and watch this prayer. John 17, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me so that they may be one as i am one while i was with them i protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled i'm coming to you now but i say these things while i'm still with the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them i have given them your word And the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Do you see the four areas It's in God's heart for us. There's not five, but if there was, what would the fifth one be? We we don't know. There's not three, and if there's four, which one would he take out? There's four, specifically, that he wants so passionately for his disciples, and then he even repeats it for us even in the next passage, the same prayer, and saying the same thing specifically even for us, with just one left out. Let's go over these as we look at what does God want for us rather than from us. Number three, God wants us to be one as the Father and the Son are one. Is God asking too much? Did you know that uh, I married God's daughter? (laughs) Uh, My wife is, is not mine. My wife is God's. And God has entrusted her to me. And what does he say? I want you to be one with her as the Father is one, I want there to be complete unity, complete strength, complete one mind, one heart, one will. Why? Because it's my girl. Take care of her. Do you know that my daughters are not my daughters? They're actually God's daughters, and he's entrusted me to have what? Unity with them? To be one as a father is one? Is God asking too much? Did you know that you know, I'm a pastor of a church, and as I'm a pastor of the church, is he asking me too much to say, I want to be one with you. I want to be completely unified with you. I want my heart to be completely sold out to you, and we want our hearts connected as we walk together. Is God asking too much if 
we look at each other across the room and say, I want you to be absolutely connected with that person with one heart, one mind. I don't want you arguing. I don't want you quarreling. I want you to have unity. Is God asking for too much? All of this is for our benefit. How many of us just love it when our children fight? <laughs> it's like, oh boy, if there's not a fight in the house, it just drives me absolutely crazy. We don't say that. <laughs> Why? Because we like the peace in our house. We don't want our children to fight in our house. Well, this is my heart. This is God's heart for the disciple. Make them one, completely unified. The first two commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The next one is love others as yourself. This is at the heart of God, that we would be one. John 17, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is not what God wants from us. This is what the Father wants for us. The next one that he gives us, number four, God wants us to have the full measure of his joy. Before we get in this passage, we need to understand how we get joy. Is uh, You cannot fabricate joy. In other words, you cannot sit down and say, I am going to be joyful and I'm going to meditate on it until I am joyful and it will come. Well, if joy comes throughout your meditation, who gets the credit? The meditation. <laughs> It always comes from a source. Joy always comes from a source. It does not just fabricate it. So in other words, you can say, oh boy, I'm just really enjoying my marriage. It's coming from a source. I'm really enjoying my children. It's coming from a source. But what is the ultimate source? The source that is beyond all others that will give you a joy that is so overflowing that you cannot even stop it. What is the ultimate source of joy? Gives it here in John 17. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in this world, so that they may have the full measure of my, there's a source right there, my joy within them. A joy that is inside of Jesus will be given to us. Well, this is a joy inside of Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12. It will explain Jesus' joy. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Where does Jesus get his joy? This joy is being set before him and he's getting it from the Father. He's feasting on the joy that he's getting from the Father. How much is he feasting on the joy he's getting from the Father? Let's finish the verse. So strong that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is coming so strong and powerful to Jesus from the Father, that it gave him power to do what? Endure the cross. You see where the disciples, yes, give Jesus joy, but that's not his source. You see the situations give Jesus joy, but that's not his source. Jesus is finding all the joy from the Father. It's founded in his relationship with God, and it's given him power to walk through any situations or circumstances. And according to this verse, it's given enough power to even walk to the cross. God the Father was Jesus' source of joy, and God the Father needs to be your ultimate source of joy. I want you to put your thinking caps on because we're going to think a little bit because we're going to make some strong statements. And uh, here's one strong statement because it's a really good thing, a marriage. It's a wonderful thing. Let's talk about it. Does God, God does not want you to get joy from your marriage. Did you know that? He does not want you to get joy from your marriage. I know it's not the way we think, but let me finish it. He does not want you to get joy from your marriage. God wants you to get joy from him, 
so you can enjoy your marriage. He doesn't want you to get joy from your marriage. He wants you to get joy from him so you can enjoy your marriage. So many people are like, I, you know, I'm married, and boy, it is just absolutely miserable. I'm married to a complete jerk, and God wants me to be happy. Why would God want me to remain in this marriage if he wants me to be happy? See, what we think of, well, God wants me to be happy, so he's given me a source, and that source is my marriage, and it's not making me happy right now, so maybe I should do what? Maybe I should leave. This is how we, this is how we think. But is our marriage supposed to be our source? No, it's not supposed to be our source. God is supposed to be our source. And if it is our source, I will tell you that our emotions will go up and our emotions will go down. But we still question God and we question him in prayers and say, God, you wouldn't want me in this situation. Do you understand the jerk that I'm married to? Do you understand how mean he is to me? Do you understand how obnoxious she is to me? There's no way you'd want me in this situation. You know what God's response is to that? God's response is, yes, I understand what kind of jerk he is, and yes, I understand what kind of jerk she is. But if you divorce, you will just go marry another jerk. And then if you leave that person, you'll marry another jerk, and then another jerk. And then when you get to the end of your life, you're going to look back and you say, everybody's jerks. And that's exactly true. And one of them standing up here right now preaching to you. I mean, if I had to live with myself or marry myself, I think I'd want out too. I mean, I know who I am. My wife knows who I am. And I actually respect my wife. Wondered, how in the world does she even put up with me? And she's down here saying, amen, brother, preach it. That's <laughs> the first time she, she always says amen. But see, that's the way it works. When we are in our sinful nature, where does our sinful nature get so hot and get so mean? When we try to find another source of joy that does not provide it, and when we start finding the source of joy that is not providing the source of joy, what do we do? We get mean. We get lashed out. In fact, all your arguments are, are from your source of joy that you're trying to probably get from your mate, rather than from God. So if you look at the concept that Jesus is saying, there is a source out there, and let me be the ultimate source, and don't let anything else be, because nobody on this planet is going to be your source and is expected to be your source. I'm supposed to be your ultimate source. And if you find your source, find your joy, specifically in me, I'll tell you what's going to happen, is you can start enjoying your marriage. I'm not going to go into marriage counseling here, but just make one statement. You're struggling in your marriage. I'll tell you, the first thing to do is walk up to your mate and say, you know what, I'm using you for a source of my joy. I want to change that. I want God to be my ultimate source of this joy and not you. Because as long as you are an ultimate source of my joy or a source of my joy, I will never be happy. I'll always argue. So can you help me out with that? And when a beautiful marriage takes place, the other mate would say, you know what, I confess too. God has to be the ultimate source of joy. And we're not getting along because God is not my ultimate source of joy. And I'm walking into you with conflict. And it's horrific. And I don't know what's tearing us apart. The one thing that's tearing you apart is that you're trying to find your joy in something else by God, but when you find yourself, your joy in God, you can actually put everything together. You can survive anything, everything. Hebrews 12, look at this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, 
It was not the cross that gave him joy. It was the Father that gave him joy so powerful that it was set before him that he could endure the cross, scorning its shame. The cross did not give him joy, but his joy was so powerful with the Father that he could, what? Endure the cross. People say, God wants me to be happy, so he will give me a good mate. Is like saying, God wants Jesus to be happy, so he's given him a good cross. That is not the way it is. God wants Jesus to be happy, so he's given him himself, so he can endure the cross. Now, we can do this through all different situations. God does not want you to get, ha- get joy from your job. Did you know that? He doesn't want you to get joy from your job. He wants you to get joy where? He wants you to get joy from him so you can enjoy your job and people can enjoy you at work as well. God does not want you to get joy out of money. God wants you to get joy from him so you can enjoy your money. Have you ever uh, celebrated, oh my goodness, I got an awesome check, and there's just a celebration with so much joy that you just start clapping out loud, or you start screaming, you start dancing around. Uh, has, has money ever made you feel like that, giving you that much intensity um, and excitement when you received it? Or if you receive money and go, you know, it's not enough, it'll probably go too fast. Oh, I got to pay bills instead of use it for what I want to use it for. Money does not do that unless what? We put God's joy, and then money will all of a sudden come alive. What do you mean money will come alive? came alive last week. Last week, we had VBS. When we had VBS, there's 300 kids on the stage, and there's 200 people down here. And what were we doing? We were talking. We were singing. There was so much energy in the house. And I'll tell you, when the energy absolutely exploded is when we said the goal is $3,000 for the special offering to Bob's school. And we came up with 7000 And do you know what happened? Everybody starts erupting with joy. Why are they erupting with joy? They don't know where that money's going. They don't even know one person's name where that money is going. But do you see what happens if you find your joy in God, all of a sudden money starts to come alive, alive because he starts saying, oh, send it this direction and let the eternal work happen. And what does it do? It gives us excitement, gives us joy, but it does not, it is not the source. It cannot be the source. God has to be the source so it will come alive. God does not want you to get joy out of your circumstances. He wants you to get joy from him so you can literally survive your circumstances. And the example is God gave Jesus enough joy that he survived the cross. Joy always comes from a source. We just have to ask the question, what is our source? As a father, Jesus is saying to all of us, take the joy that is in me. This is the joy that I want to get. Thicker joy than any joy that's absolutely out there. The next thing he wants to give us, number five, God wants to protect us from the evil one. Tomorrow morning, my family and I are going down the Rogue River Trail. We will be hiking for 40 miles, and I will tell you it's going to be hot. And on that trail, there's rattlesnakes, bears, scorpions, lots of mosquitoes. There will be blood blisters and pain. And who would plan a family trip like that? Only a father would. John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I don't want them torn apart, but I'm definitely going to plan it. Here's God's statement. I don't want to pull you out of the world. I want to keep you in the world. I want to keep you in the jungle. I want you to make an effect on the jungle. I don't want to pull you out, but I also want to pray that you'll be protected 
by the evil one, that you will not be destroyed in the midst of your situation or the world that I have put you in. This is a father's heart. Yes, I'm not taking you out. You will be here for a purpose. And the purpose will be other people, and you will hate it, you will bleed, you'll get bitten, and you could really get hurt. But my prayer is that you be protected by the evil one as you're down here. There's a father's mind. Number six, God wants us to be sanctified in truth. Sanctified is a Bible word. What does it mean? Just went to the dictionary to find out what sanctified means. Sanctified means set apart. These are words that came after sanctified. Set apart, sacred, holy, consecrated, and purified. Well, you get a Bible word, then you get a whole bunch of more Bible words to try to explain the Bible words. So let's just break this down, and I think you'll see a common theme. The common theme is set apart. So what does set apart mean? It means set apart. Sacred, what does it mean? It means dedicated to or set apart for use. Again, we get the word set apart. What does holy mean? Holy means belonging to, derived from, or associated with a divine power. Being associated with a divine power is being set apart from the world. Consecrated, it means to declare, set apart. You're seeing it again. Set apart, set apart, set apart. Purified means to be free from a moral or spiritual defilement. What's in this world, a moral, spiritual defilement? He wants you to be set apart from that. So if it says the word, I want my people to be sanctified, what can be just a one phrase that kind of give a picture of this word? This is what God's saying. I want to give my people a little taste of heaven on earth, and I want to find somebody that will do it. And the one that will do it will be the one that is sanctified, the one that is set apart, the one who acts like he's not from this world, but he's from a different planet, the one that will show love that this world has never seen before, came from Jesus, but then is sanctified in us so the world can see Jesus in us. One that's set apart that would show forgiveness when it's not natural to forgive. That's what God wants us to do. I want them not taken from this world. I want them to bring heaven to this world. This is exactly what he's saying to his disciples. I want them to be sanctified. And then where do you find it? We find that source absolutely in truth. God wants to give the world around you a taste of heaven, and he says, I am going to not take you out of it. I want you to be sanctified inside of it. Provide the world heaven. Provide the world me. Provide the world the love that you have received from me so they can see who their God is, who their creator is. So looking at this prayer that's specifically coming from a father, what should we do with it? Number seven, First of all, live asking the question, what does God want from me? Live asking the question, what does God want for me? It is the source that is driving Scripture. Everything in the Bible is for the purpose of your good. Every advice in the Bible is for the purpose of making you alive. Every word in the Bible is for the purpose of making you something better, someone better, someone stronger, someone that God wants on this planet to make an entire difference on the world. That's what the Bible is about. If we go, what does God want from me? I'll tell you that Christian life is going to be draining. But if we ask the question, what does my father want for me? Well, I know exactly what I want for my daughters. I don't have to even create it. Think about it. I pray about it. I don't have to think of any of that. Also, I know naturally 
this is what the Father wants for you, because this is what the, every father wants, a child to be strong, loving, secure, successful, passionate, driven to change the world. If my daughters were driven to change the world, my father would be happy. This is exactly what God wants from all of us. God wants, God wants to make you into someone, not use you for something. He wants to make you into someone, not use you for something. Those are two large, different things. Yes, God wants to use you, but he wants to make you to be used. Look at it that way. And just to kind of give more force to um, note number seven, there's not one word in the Bible against the Christian. Every time you look at the Bible, there is not one word that is against the Christian. God wants to give you everything he can to make you And that is the purpose of all these gifts that are given to you. That is the purpose of the entire word that is handed into you, is to specifically make you for your good and for his glory. That's what he wants. Therefore, he gives you a hope for a home, a relationship with him. He gives you a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to walk alongside you. He gives you peace, knowing that you would be completely unsuccessful unless you had that peace that was divine and within. And then at the end, he gives you a prayer. And his heart comes out, and it's a heart of, please unify my people. Please be, have unity. Please give them absolute joy. Please give them protection in the midst of their lives. And please give them this sanctification, because I want the world to see heaven and I want the world to see heaven, and I want them to, to reveal it to them. If we choose to feast on these gifts, we will seriously be made for God's name and for God's glory. And in the process of all of that, it's no longer work. It's nothing more than a huge, huge blessing. And we can definitely look even at VBS last week when 150 volunteers showed up, what took place when they showed up. There was not, oh boy, this is so miserable. It's like we've showed up for a kingdom and I am blessed in the process of working for it. Hanging on to God and his gifts is what is going to drive you. God, we just thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you for your last words to these disciples, God. These last words to us before you go to the cross. You want us to be strong people, blessed people. You want us to be powerful people. You want us to be people, God, that proclaim your name. I just pray, God, that we will embrace your gifts so we can do it, knowing that it is those gifts that drive us, God. Not necessarily even your commands, but it's those gifts that drive us, because within those gifts, God, your commands are already done if we choose to embrace the gifts. Thank you, God, for your word and what you've given to us. In Christ's name, amen.